Okay, so that the message this morning, as we go through the challenges, you know, the, the times of life that are absolutely terrifying or overwhelming, God is saying, fear not. And I know we've heard that phrase a lot, and that's because God says it a lot. I heard one Bible teacher say that Jesus says, fear not, almost as much as he says hello and goodbye. And why is that? Because this world is a scary place. Exile is a scary, hard, painful, difficult, overwhelming place. And God is saying, you know what? Fear not. So let's go. Let's go into So Isaiah chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord. And you'll notice each one of these chapters are just continuing. This is, always remember that cha- chapter, chapters are arbitrary. They're not part of the inspired scripture. So we're just continuing the same conversation and kind of staying with the, the amusement park theme. This conversation, I notice as we're going through these chapters, think about it like a carousel. We just keep going around this carousel and, and hitting the same themes re- in repetition. But each time we hit them, we see it a little bit differently. Like if you're riding on a carousel and and, Pete and your family or people are standing here and then the castle's over here and then there's something else over here and there's something over here. Each time you go around, it's the same scene, but it's changed a little bit, right? Each time. And each time you go around, you learn something a little bit deeper, a little bit more. And so that's as we're going through these chapters on Isaiah, that's a lot of what you see. You're going to keep seeing these same themes, but each time a little bit deeper, a little bit maybe, hope, Lord willing, more meaningful. All right, but now thus says the Lord. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. God is saying, you know what? Fear not. Why not? Why not fear not? Well, well, number one, because God created you. You specifically, personally, are a creation of God. You are not an accident. God put you here very purposely, right? You're not just randomly landed here, and now you've got to try to figure out how you're going to survive this crazy exile. He put you here. Not only did he put you here, but he formed you. He shaped you. He shaped you as a person, and he shaped us as a body of believers, as his people. He is forming us. He is in this glorious process of forming us and making us into the image of Christ, right? So he has created you. He has formed you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I mean, this is the, most, this is the greatest comfort, I think, for me personally, of, of all the comforts, that he's with me. No matter what's going on, no matter even in my worst moment, even in my most sinful self, even in my most faithless uh, season of my life, he is with me. Even when circumstances are overwhelming, the waters are flooding. This imagery of waters, I mean, this image, this is a type that throughout God's interaction with his people, throughout the Ark of the Bible, I think about the great flood, right? And Noah was in the flood, but he wasn't overwhelmed by the flood, right? God, God rescued him from that flood and his family, and of course, all of creation ultimately was saved through, through that ark. You think about the children of Israel being set free from bondage from Egypt, 
And what did they do? They passed through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea didn't overwhelm them, didn't consume them, right? Think about the children of Israel entering into the Promised Land. What did they have to cross to go into the Promised Land? They had to cross the Jericho River at flood stage, at high flood stage. Imagine, I would love to have been there, by the way. Can you imagine going through this river? It's at flood stage. There's a raging torrent, and, yet, and God has stopped it. There's this wall of water that's just growing and building up there, right? You think God had their attention as they're, as they're walking through this dry lake bed with this wall of water to one side of them that's just boiling and raging over here, right? But that, over and over again, God has demonstrated how he is with us in the midst of the flood of overwhelming uh, waters, as well as fire. I can't help think of uh, Daniel, uh, Abednego, Meshach, Abednego, the, the, the three the three friends, as they're thrown into the fiery furnace in their exile in Babylon, that maybe they might have had this prophecy in their minds. They may have, re- I'm sure they've read this prophecy that when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. What are your fires? What are your raging waters? What is overwhelming you this morning? What is terrifying? What seems to be like no way through? There's no path. There's no way to the other side. God's saying, look, hey, I'm with you. I am an expert at providing the path to the other side. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. So what's God talking about here? What what God is saying is, look, I know you're going into exile. You're going into Babylonian exile. But you know what? I'm going to overcome Babylon. I'm going to use other nations to overcome. I'm going to use the Medo-Persian Empire to overcome Babylon and push Babylon out, push the the leadership of Babylon out. And and I'm going to do that for your sake. I'm going to do that so that you can return to your land so that you can come back to Jerusalem, so that you can back, come back and, and worship me. So, and you know, I, I think about this in terms of, uh, and I talk about it all the time, you know, how the news cycle can just drive us to drink, really, if we, if we give it too much weight. We, you know, we hear about the coronavirus, we hear about impeachment, we hear about, you know, war, brewing war in, in the Middle East, we hear about earthquakes, we hear on and on, volcanoes erupting, on and on and on and on it goes. It's just overwhelming. And we have to remember that we are God's chosen people. If you've put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what happens in this world, we belong to him. And not only that, he is using all these things in the world, even the brokenness of this world, to mold us and shape us and deliver us and present us holy and perfect before the Father. So the, the principle here, the idea here is God will move heaven and earth. God will move the geopolitical situation to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose is to bring us holy and perfect before his Father to live in his blessing and joy for throughout eternity, right? So don't let those big scary things jack with you, okay? Because God's in control of all that. He designed 
He designed and engineered the roller coaster, all right? And there might be gremlins on the roller coaster. The enemy might try to freak you out. There might be real tragedy in your life and the life of people around you. But God is faithful, and it's not over till it's over. It's not about just a momentary ride on a roller coaster. It's about entering into the kingdom of heaven for all eternity in the favor of the Lord. And we have that favor because of his love and grace and, and faithfulness to us. Why? Because we are precious in his eyes. We are honored. He loves us. Think about that. The God of heaven and earth, the creator of all that is, sees us and he says, you are precious to me. You are honored by me. And I love you. I am for you. I want the best ultimate good for you, even in the midst of the momentary pain. I think about Paul. I mean, if anybody could complain about exile, it'd be Paul, right? Paul is continuously beat up, put in prison, shipwrecked, while on mission for the Lord, dedicated to mission for the Lord, and all he gets is, is, is obstacles and pain and suffering. And Paul says, you know what? I can't compare this, the temporary light inflictions, persecutions that I experience now in this life with the weight of glory that waits for us who are in Christ, right? These present afflictions that Paul, and Paul's afflictions are way beyond anything any of us have experienced. He calls them light and temporary because he understands the weight and glory of eternity, of fellowship with the Lord. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather, gather you. I will say to the Lord, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Fear not. Why? Why fear not? Because Christ is going to call us home. We will not live in exile forever. This is specifically a prophecy of to Jerusalem, the children of Israel, that, hey, even though you're going into Babylon, there's coming a day where I'm going to call you home. I'm going to bring you out of Babylon back to your country. I'm, either, I'm not only going to bring you out of Babylon, but going to bring you out, back out from other nations, from other dispersions, and bring you back to your country. And it has, it has a fulfillment, a, a partial fulfillment in, in Nehemiah and Ezra coming back and rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem but it finds its ultimate fulfillment in all of us, all the people of God coming home to him in heaven, returning to heaven. This, will, this same language is used when Jesus returns at the end of the age and he draws every man from every nation and brings them into the new heavens and the new earth. And the glory of each culture is there in the new heavens and new earth. So no matter how tough things get, ultimately... This is not our home. And one day Jesus is calling us home. And that'll be a glorious day. Amen? Verse 8, bring out the people who are blind. This, this is kind of interesting. This is like a courthouse with, with witnesses. <laughs> bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the people assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. 
You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me not, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed. When there was no strange God among you, and you were my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God, also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver me deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? So what God is saying here is he's saying, look, if you don't trust in me, who are you going to trust in? Let, let's ask all the other nations. Have them bring forth their witnesses. Can anybody, any idol from another nation or any true sayer from an, an, another nation say what all of this means, what all this prophecy means, what's transpired? Can he put any kind of meaning to it that's really rooted in truth? Can they even foresee what's future? Can they even speak to what's going on right now? And of course, the answer is no. They're blind and they're deaf. This, it's interesting because uh, in the previous chapter and kind of throughout Isaiah, God keeps emphasizing that idols are blind, deaf, and dumb. They can't do anything. They can't hear anything. They can't see anything. They have eyes. They have ears. But they can't see with them, and they can't hear with them. They're a block of wood with some gold hammered on it. Right? And yet, you're looking to that for your hope and your salvation instead of looking to the living God. Compare me. Let's have a little trial here. You bring your witnesses, I'll bring my witnesses. My people are my witnesses, and my people can witness to the fact that I have proclaimed what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. And I proclaim it accurately. I proclaim it with full knowledge. I love this little this little uh, sentence here in 13 says, also henceforth I am. What that literally means is also before the first day, I am. I exist apart from this creation. I existed before day one. As Jesus said, I am the beginning and the last. I am the alpha and the omega, right? I am so, I'm outside the space-time continuum. I created the space-time continuum, right? I am holy. I'm, I am altogether different. Therefore, I probably know what's going on. I probably know what all of this means, right? So where are you going to put your trust? In the idols of our culture? I enjoyed our conversation yesterday with the men. We were talking about idols and how, how prone we are, especially as guys, you know, we see the new shiny toy, and we're just prone to like, oh man, if I just had that, you know, that new car, that new bike, that new motorcycle, that new whatever, new technology, it would just, uh, you know, I'd be happy, content, satisfied, fulfilled. And yet, a day, the moment we have it, it's empty. We're just prone to it. It's just in our fallen nature, is it not? And so we have to be very purposeful, and we have to act, really actively continue to remind ourselves as we're go inching up this straight-up incline with our rational mind and say, wait a second, I believe what God says, not what about my, what my heart's doing, what I'm, freak, what I'm freaking out about right now, or what I'm depressed by right now, or what I'm really sad, saddened by right now. And it's fine to feel those things, and we need to feel things. God's given us our, our emotions, but we always need to root our, our decisions and our thinking and our mind in, okay, Who's in charge here? And who does he care about? He cares about me. He cares about us. He loves us. 
And he uses all things for the purpose of bringing us full and complete and mature to his Father, fully mature. Verse 14, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostrich. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So again, the Lord brings up this history of his faithfulness. Notice in, in uh, uh, verse 16, he says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariots and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. What's he describing there? He's describing the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea, right? He made a path for them. As the army, they're on the seashore, nowhere to go, no escape, and the army of Egypt, the superpower of that time, is charging down on them, and everybody's going, what have you done to us now, Moses? We're all going to die here. What, what is this happening about? This, you know, this is stupid. <laughs> Why did you bring us out here? And what does God do? There's no way out. There's no human possible way out of this. And, of course, that's the point. God splits the sea. I mean, that's pretty dramatic, right? He splits the sea. Not only does he provide a way for them to pass through and escape for them, but then he obliterates the Egyptian army, which has all kinds of impact there and kinds of nuance to it because that means what happens when, they, when they're on the other side of the Red Sea? There's no army to pursue, continue to pursue them, right? It's, like, it's God's way of just closing the door on that captivity. It's God's way of saying, look, you know what? You are out of Egypt now. You are no longer captive. I'm closing the door on that, on that part of your history. And I wonder if there's someone here this morning who has been wondering, you know what, maybe I, maybe I left something in Egypt that I, I shouldn't have. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe, maybe you know, the, the food and the spices of Egypt are better than being out here in the wilderness, being out here in exile. And God is saying, look, you know what, I've set you free from captivity. You are free in Christ. You don't need that anymore. You don't need to go back to that anymore. You've been set free from it. It's interesting that after reminding them of this event in verse 18, he then says, remember not the former things, nor consider the old things. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God is saying, look, I know we, you, you know the history. You know how I've, I've rescued you and saved you. But you know what? What I'm about to do now, as you move through this period of exile and as then you are brought back into your homeland, is something very different. It's a new thing. And it doesn't have the same sort of uh, limitations 
that the old things had. And I think about what we have in Christ in the new covenant that Robert preached on last Sunday. It is a new thing. It is completely different. It's not like God just saves us and then has to keep saving us over and over and, and saving us from exile over and over again. What Christ has done is absolute and final. He has obliterated the Egyptian army and he has closed the door on our past, our past life of revolt and rebellion and sin and indifference. And he's called us to a new life that finds its ultimate fulfillment in the new heavens and new earth. And here's this very messianic theme again of, of the wilderness and making a path in the wilderness where rivers are in the desert. And you know what? This exile is a spiritual desert. I, I shared with Donna the other day. The American suburban track home sub-development that we all live in is a spiritual wasteland. It's a spiritual desert, right? But the Lord brings provision. He brings He brings satisfaction he brings water that ministers to our soul and strengthens us all right verse 22 yet you did not call upon me O jacob but you have been weary of me O israel you have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices i have not burned you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense you have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifice, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. All right, um, well, let's just finish out. Verse 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Okay, so what's going on here? Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize it this way. What God is saying is, look, you know what? Even though you want to just sort of do this half-hearted, milk-toast, sort of afterthought religion, and you want to, you kind of, you, you kind of sacrifice, but you don't really sacrifice. You aren't engaged with me with your whole heart. Even in spite of that, I still blot out your sin. I still cover the sin of that. Even as we are going through our, our routine, we're singing the same worship song again without really even thinking about the words that we're singing. We say the same prayers, Lord, bless this breakfast, I say every morning with Donna. Lord, breakfast, breakfast to our bodies. And I say oftentimes just out of rote without even really thinking about the Lord and conversing with him necessarily. Not that I need to talk to him for an hour and let our breakfast get cold. But, but what, what God is saying is, look, you're going into exile. You're not even going to be able to sacrifice. You're, you can't, you'll have no access to the temple. And God's saying, look, it's not about keeping the rules. It's not about that you make sure you're in Jerusalem sacrificing every Sunday. It's not about that. It's about your heart and your connection with me, your relationship with me, right? And I think the Lord would say the same for us. I think he'd say, look, where's your heart? Are you far from me this morning? I know you're in exile. I'm with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you what you need. And you won't be overwhelmed. You won't be burned. You won't be consumed. But where's your heart? Are you, are you with me? I'm with you. Are you with me? 
I, I think that the, the temper and the sense and the, and the feeling, the heart of this gets, gets expressed so well in, in, in a story from the gospel, and we're going to close with this. This is from um, Luke chapter 7, and it's uh, yet again a time when, when Jesus gets invited by a Pharisee to dinner. You would think by this time that the Pharisees have gotten wise and would stop inviting Jesus to, to dinner, because every time they do, they, they get convicted, <laughs> or, or, or in trouble, one or the other, or both. Um, so this Pharisee is invited to Jesus to dinner, and uh, I'll pick up in the story in verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, meaning Jesus, if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, it's, it's, it's awesome when Jesus answers what someone is thinking without them saying it, right? Imagine being that guy. You're just thinking it and Jesus answers your thought. That would kind of wake me up. I don't know about you. This, uh, and Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. 41, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, was, she has wet my feet with her tears tears and wiped them with her hair you gave me no kiss but from the time i came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet you did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment therefore i tell you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven then those who were were at table with him, began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the women, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Who was this man who even forgives sins? I'll tell you, he's much more than a prophet, right? He's the son of God. He's the living God. He's, he's Jehovah in the flesh. And I think that that's, that's kind of how the spirit of this text sort of ends is, is with God saying, look, I am for you. I am with you. I am with you all the way in this. Whatever life brings you, I'm going to help you. I'm going to empower you to overcome it in whatever way that looks like. You want to put Paul in prison? Fine. He's in prison and he converts the whole prison to Christianity, right? I, I'm with you. I'm, a, I, I'm not a loser here. I win. Guess what? If you read to the end, I win. And I'm, and I'm making you part of that victory. You have victory in me, no matter what you're up against. But let me ask you, are you with me? Is your heart for me? Do you feel the kind of compassion and love that this sinful woman had for this, for this teacher who had come to a 
spiritual leader's house, an elder's house, right? Spiritual leader should know what's going on. And all she can see is this woman is just a straight up, you know, sinner, sinful, sinful woman. And yet she sees Jesus and, and just loves him and understands that he is something very special. She washes his feet with her own tears and wipe, dries it with her own hair, right? Where are we? Where am I in the Lord and my, my devotion to him? You know what? We fall short. And when you fall short, as you fall, out, fall short, guess what? The passage says that he blots that sin out. He forgives you for it. So if you've been failing in this way, guess what? He's covered it. He's blotted out. But now let's go forward. Where's our devotion with the Lord? As we go into this new year in 2020, is it about program? Well, yeah, we have to have a program. We have to meet, meet together. We have to have a building. We have to have all these things. We need it. But is that ultimately what it's about? Or is it ultimately about fellowshipping with the Lord? And, and as we fellowship with the Lord, fellowshipping with one another in deep love and truth. Right? Are we a family, you guys? I mean, I'm just getting really real with you. Are we a family together? Or are we just going to do church? You know, are we just going to knock out another sermon, knock out another Bible study, crank through some worship, whatever it is we do. Is, is, are we a family that wants to press in with the Lord and, and get close to him and get close to one another and experience the grace and love and power and might of our Savior together as a family? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just, ah, man, I just thank you so much for your love, God. I thank you so much for your compassion. The moment, Father, that we humble ourselves before you, the moment that we turn our hearts to you, God, the moment that we recognize who you are, Father, you are there to forgive us our doubts, to forget our indifference, God, to remove our ambivalence, Lord, and to show us the way of abundant life, God, to show us the way of deep, meaningful living, regardless of circumstance, Father. And as we face the challenges and trials of this life, Father, as we go inching up that insanely high roller coaster of this life, this exile, that we know you are with us, that you are there to guide us and protect us and find us a way through, God, even if it means coming to the end and entering into your kingdom, Father, you will bring us through. Lord, I just thank you for your love. In your son's name, amen.